your Bibles with me this morning to the Gospel uh, of Luke, chapter number 8. And uh, we want to speak today about follow your heart is the name of the message this morning. And we're going to the Gospel of Luke, chapter number 8, verse number 15. The Word of God says, and we're going to see something here that we, you know, sometimes it's uh, we haven't heard this enough or we haven't seen this enough from the Word of God. It's where Jesus is, you know, he's speaking to his disciples and, and those around him. And he's talking about the parable of the soils. And he's talking about where the word of God is like a seed that is sown. And when it is sown, it says that, you know, the, if you go through, we're not going to read the whole thing. But it says there's places where the seed is sown that the devil tries to come and take away and other things come and try to choke it off. But in verse number 15, Jesus tells us, and the seed in the good soil. Now, how many of you know when seed is planted in good soil, something good will come forth from it? Nobody here takes a seed and goes looking for clay or some, some, some uh, rocky spot to plant that seed. You look for good soil, don't you? You cultivate it or you put some topsoil or something and you plant a seed in good soil. No one in their right mind goes and plant a seed where they don't expect it to grow. You plant a seed where you expect that seed with care and with nourishment that that and with sunlight and all that is necessary that it will come forth. And so Jesus said the seed in the good soil, these are the ones. Now he's referring soil here to you, to people. You and me, we're soil. How do you know? How many of you know we're soil according to the word of God? And it says, these are the ones who have heard the word in an honest and what does it say? Good heart. How many of you know there's a good heart? You have a good heart. If the word of God has been received in into your life, it says that in an honest and a good heart, you see, the Bible says that, you know, you might have heard or grown up in the church hearing that the heart is deceitfully wicked and corrupt above all things. And that is true for the unregenerate heart. And But what happens is we as believers carry that verse of the wicked and deceitful above all things heart. And when we're born again, when we come to Christ who gives us, the Bible says, he takes the heart of stone out of us and gives us a heart of flesh. The Bible says, I will give you a new heart. That heart that is deceitful and wicked above all things. God takes that heart and trashes it. And he gives us a new heart that is good. Say good. Good. God gives you a good heart. Now, when we as believers go around and say, ah, oh, my heart is no good, we're, we're insulting God because God took that heart of stone out of you and gave you a new heart and a new spirit. And that heart that is new that God put in you is good soil. It's a good heart. God sees that heart in you as being good. If you're regenerate, if you're born again, if you're a child of God, your heart is good. Your mind needs regeneration because there's a lot of stuff up here that needs to process out. But our heart and our spirit is good. And the word of God here says that the soil who have heard the word of good and it's gone into a good and honest heart. And if you hold it fast, you know, you've got to hold on to the word of God that is in your heart. You know, the Bible, David says, Lord, inscribe your word in my heart. Let me hide it in my heart that I might not sin against you. And David is saying he wants to hold on to the word of God. And it says that if we hold fast to the word of God, if we count the word of God in our lives as precious, as something that will guide us through this life, as something that will change me and transform me, then that word of God, Jesus goes on to say, and it will bear fruit with perseverance. Nothing happens overnight instantaneously except when we come to Christ we are and we give him our life and we say, Lord, 
I believe that on Calvary's cross you died for my sins. I repent. I want to turn to you. Wash me clean, and and I want to follow you. Lead me on. The minute you say that, there's an instantaneous transformation. You are then taken from darkness and put into light. You become what the Bible says, born again. You're now a new creation in Christ. The Bible says, behold, all things have become new. The old has passed away. The new has come. And then from that time on, when God puts a new heart and a new spirit in you, you begin a journey, a new journey through life with God, and your heart is a good heart, good soil that God's Word is going into. And if you hold fast to the Word, and if you persevere, persevere means day by day, right? Day by day. You know, you, you've got to go. You've got to continue to walk the walk with Jesus day by day. You have to persevere in that. And it says it will produce fruit. So I want you to see that, first of all, that Jesus himself says that you have a good heart, an honest and a good heart, and his word in you is at work to produce fruit, to produce what God. You see, when you plant a seed in the ground, now, you, don't, you just don't go to, the, to a, a store that sells seed and say, I just want seed. Like I'll say, well, what kind of seed? What, what do you want to grow? Do you want to grow an oak tree, or do you want to grow a, a tomato, or do you want to grow a flower, or do you want to grow? What kind of seed do you want? You just can't say, oh, go give me some seed. I want to plant it in my ground. And he said, oh, right, here's some seed, and you go get the seed, and you don't know what it is, and you plant it in your, in your ground, and you might wind up with thorn bushes. Or, and is that what you wanted? Who would, who would want to plant thorn bushes all around your house, you know? So there are specific seeds, see, and God has a call, a specific purpose and plan for every one of our lives. My, the plan for my life may be different from the plan from your life. And the plan from your life may be different from the plan for your life. And so in, into each life, God, he's Alpha and Omega, first and the last, beginning and the end. God knows what your personality is because guess who gave it to you? God. Pastor Al didn't make you who you are, did I? I had no say in the matter as to what your makeup's going to be, what you're going to look like, or how you're going to behave. You know, we all have different personalities, which is good. Having a different personality and makeup and character is, and God in each one of us plants a specific seed for his purpose. God knows what he desires to come out of your life, Nancy, out of your life, Nancy, out of your life, Kathy, out of your life, Pat. God knows it's not the same as what's going to come out of mine or my wife's. It's different. And so God plants a seed in your life that he wants to nourish and grow because out of your life, the Bible says that his plans for you are good and not of evil. So what God wants to grow and bring to fruitfulness out of your life is something good. And so you got to hold fast to the word of God, knowing that he has a good purpose and plan for your life. And he wants you to persevere with that. Go with me to Luke chapter number 18. You're in the gospel of Luke already. Just go over a few chapters to chapter number 18. And we want to look at verse number 20, uh, 22. Well, it's the account of the rich young ruler. And uh, we know this. Uh, we'll start at verse 18. And it says, And a certain ruler questioned him, questioned Jesus, saying, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says to him, now the man came to him with a sincere and a real question. He said, good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? That's a question a lot of people ask. What is eternal life? How do I get eternal life? And so this man came with a sincerity to Jesus. And Jesus, he asked Jesus a question. And Jesus, the first thing Jesus does is is to correct him, not because uh, he's, he wants to give him a bad grade, but Jesus wants to correct him to bring him to the truth and knowledge. And so God, God's word is the, is the purpose of God's word is to bring us to see what is true, what the truth is all about. And so he corrects him, not for bad, but for good. He says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. 
So Jesus could have took it to himself, yeah, I'm good, but Jesus said no. He said, now, let's, let's get, let's get the truth right here. First, the only one that is good is the Father, he tells him. Now, how many of you know that none of us can compare ourselves with God, right? We might think we're good, but none of us is good when we compare ourselves to God our Father. We're all a work in progress. How many of you know that, right? But Jesus said, God alone is good. And he says, you know the commandments. Jesus says, do not commit adultery, do not commit murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and your mother. And he said, all these things I have kept from my youth. Now, here's the guy, Jesus is telling him, you know, you got to not do this. And, and, you know, and the guy got, he started to say, oh, I did all these things, you know. Look at me. I'm, I'm, I'm okay. And then Jesus says, and he heard this and he said, thing, one thing you lack. You know, we might think ourselves so good and so perfect and so up here, but when we have the Lord examine our lives, guess what? The Lord always can find a place where we need to be improved upon or where we're lacking. You know, we're again, we are a work in progress. None of us have arrived. Nobody in this room has arrived to perfection starting here. I'm a work in progress, too. And so the rich young ruler goes to Jesus, and, and he's done a lot of good in his life. Many of us here, we we can say that, you know, maybe we can stand up and say, well, I've done a lot of good in my life, and I, and I really tried to help everybody and be good and whatever. But if we come to the Lord and say, Lord, show me, Lord, examine my life, the Lord will bring out some area where we can need, where we can use improvement or change in our life for the good. And so Jesus points out, he said, one thing you lack, sell all that you possess and distribute it to the poor. And you shall have treasure in heaven and come follow me. So the Lord wanted him to follow him. He said, if you really want to know the, 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 the truth about eternal life and what I've sown in your heart, Come and follow me. And he told him, he said, but before you follow me, he said, sell everything that you have and give it to the poor. Now, God isn't telling you to sell everything you have and give it to the poor unless he comes in to, to personally speak to your heart. But here he's telling the rich young ruler because the rich young ruler thought he had everything and he was doing everything right. And Jesus said, well, sell your rich, sell all that you have and follow me. If you're really interested in eternal life, follow me. And the rich young ruler, he turned to Jesus and he said, uh, when he heard these things, he became very sad for he was, what, extremely rich. It's like telling uh, uh, Donald Trump, give up all that you have, give it to the poor, and come follow me. Uh, you know, counting is a probably drop. Or telling Bill Gates, you know, sell all these, those billions that you have and follow Jesus. I'm not saying Jesus would do that. Maybe he would. But would a man be willing to give up riches of this world to inherit the riches of eternal life? And that's what Jesus is saying. Is something in this life more valuable to you? Do you count something in this life as more valuable than the gift of eternal life of following Jesus? And so it might not. For us, it might not be riches. For us, it might be something else. Uh, that is keeping us from following Jesus. And so Jesus has said, if you really want the truth, if you want to know the truth, then maybe there's something in your life that is hindering you from coming to church on Sunday or hindering you from from getting in relationship to me with my word or keeping you from praying uh, or keeping you from walking in my ways. Then that is is it could be anything that could be our riches. And that's what we need to give up to follow Jesus. And he says, uh, and here's what I want to see. And Jesus looked at him and said, how hard it is for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. It's not saying Jesus is not saying he doesn't want us to be wealthy and have an abundance. Because we'll see from the word of God in a minute. God is a wonderful provider. But sometimes here he's saying, now how many of you know how big a camel is? And how many of you know how big the eye of a needle is, right? Uh, and you know, can you get a camel? Can anybody here get a camel through the eye of a needle? 
And some people say that there was a little gate in Jerusalem they call the eye of the needle, and it can't was. But anyway, it was too small. No matter how you want to compare it, it's too small for the camel to get through. It's like an impossible task. And uh, so the man says, and they who heard it said, then who can be saved? And But Jesus said, now, and here's the verse I want you to see, the things impossible with men are possible with God. You see that when God sows a seed in your life, he's starting something that in you that you might consider impossible for your life, but with God, nothing is impossible. And God wants to do a work in your life that goes beyond what you can ask or imagine or think. Because the seed God sows in you is a wonderful seed. It's a miracle seed that will bring you to a place and a level that you goes beyond your expectation. And so with God, all things, all things are possible. And uh, God wants us, you know, the old heart, that old unregenerate heart that is deceitful and wicked above all things, that heart is filled with wannabes and ought-to-bees and could-have-beens and should-have-beens and would-have-beens. That's a heart that is full of frustration because sometimes we want to be someone or something that we can never be or achieve. It's not meant for us to go that word. And sometimes we, we, we ought to be this and we ought to be that because our parents tell us, you ought to be a doctor or you ought to be this or you ought to be that. And we live our lives out of that ought to be rather than what's in our heart to be. And sometimes we go around and we say, oh, I could have been if this and if that. I could have been. And the could have been is a frustration. It's a depression that comes upon our lives because you know, you think you could have been, but something or someone or something prevented you, and so what you could have been, you're not. And what you should have been, somehow you you didn't make it. And what you would have been if, and so all these coulda, 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 wouldas, wouldas, couldas, whatever, and wannabes, all these things are things that frustrate your life, that that perplex you and bring turmoil and confusion into your mind. And you say, what's the purpose of life? What's I can't find no happiness, no satisfaction uh, in life. You know, when the Rolling Stones used to sing a song, I can't get no satisfaction because they're finding it in the wrong, they're trying to get satisfaction in the wrong areas of life. And so when we come to the Lord, he takes that old heart, that is frustrated and, and, and trying to do things on its own. He gives us a new heart and he sows a new seed in us, a seed. Now he says, now you have a new heart and a new seed in your heart. Now follow your heart. Follow that seed that I planted in your heart. Give it room to go. And he said, now in the new heart, guess what? Now we have arrived. Now we are. We're not going to be, could have been, or would have been. We are a child of God. The Bible says if you're born again, you're a child of God now. You're not going to be. You are a child of God. You don't have to say, I want to be a child of God. You can say, I am a child of God. There's a difference between saying, I want to be, and the saying, I am, right? I want to be uh, 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 this. But when you say, I am this, is a big difference, right? So we can say, I am a child of God. We don't want to say, I want to be. I am a child of God. We also can say, now, I am more than a conqueror. You know, guys, when you're growing up, you always, you know, you strapped down those six guns. You wanted to be the sheriff. Go after the bad guys and get them and all that stuff, you know. And you wanted to be the sheriff. You know, you wanted to be Wyatt Earp or you wanted to be somebody or whatever, you know. And, and uh, But now we know we don't have to want to be. We are, the Bible says, you are more than conquerors. Who's the bad guy in the spiritual realm? Satan, the devil. And he's out to what? To steal, kill, and destroy. In the natural realm, what are, who are people who steal, kill, and destroy? They need the sheriff or the authorities to go after them to restrain them, right? If no one restrains the men in this world or the woman in this world or whoever in this world that steal, kill, and destroy, what would become of the world? It would be chaos, right? If the terrorists were allowed to do whatever they want, what would happen of the world? If there was no one out to restrain them, and not only restrain them, but to, to capture them and put an end to their destruction. And so the Bible says the thief, the devil, comes to steal and kill and destroy 
But the Bible says now you are like the authorities, the sheriffs. You have the power more than conquerors to put a stop. The Bible says that I have come to destroy the works of the enemy, to destroy the works of Satan. And the Bible says now you are more than conquerors. I am not going to be. I am more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. And when you understand and realize your authority, the Bible says you can bind up the works of Satan in your life and in the lives of your family. You have authority now given you by God. You're no, you're not a wannabe. I don't want, you know, you no longer are you. I want to be someone who can come against the, the, the things going on. I am more than a conqueror. And my prayers are powerful. Your prayers are effective. And so when you confess the word of God, you are more than a conqueror. And you are also a real lover. You know, how many guys think they're real hot lovers and all this other stuff, you know? But what do we know about love? But when we're born again, we are a lover of God. And the love of God that fills us makes us lovers of mankind, of the people around us. Because it's God's love. In us, so we can say, I am, I know what love is. I am a lover of the Lord. We never should be ashamed to say, I love the Lord. We are lovers of the Lord. And the Bible says, if you love God, to, for, to two great commandments, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second is that you should love who? Your neighbor. And so, therefore, God says, that new heart, that good heart that I've given you, the good seed that I've sown in you will cause you, you will now be a lover of God and you will be a lover of your neighbor. You have that ability. We have, let me say, we have that ability to love, but we have to exercise it. We have to, you know, get over the hang-ups of, of the old things and we have to say, you know, the Bible tells me I need, I am a lover of my neighbor. And so when we start thinking that terms that I, I need to love my husband. I need to love my wife in a new way. I need to love God above all things. I need to love my neighbor. I need to love those around us. So we can say, I am a lover. I am a lover. The world takes that lover stuff and, and corrupts it. It's corrupt. The world doesn't know what love means. They don't know what love is. And no one experiences love because the world's corrupt love is out there. And the corrupt love does not satisfy or bring any kind of satisfaction or pleasure to our lives. But the true love of God brings satisfaction and peace to our lives. And so we also can say that we are on a daring rescue mission. How many of you know when, 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 when there's a tragedy or something, you know, people respond. You know, like when, when the, when the Twin Towers, people responded. It wasn't easy to run, to run in to try and save someone, was it? But did people do it? Did men and women do it? Yes, they did. At the risk of their own lives? Yes, they did. Some even gave their lives. And we, you know, we, we never forget that. There's daring missions out there. The, the troops, the soldiers who are in harm's way, they're on daring missions out there against the enemy for you and me, for us. And we can never forget that. And so they're on a daring mission, but they know that they, they are, they're fighting for righteousness sake, for, for what is right. And so we're on a daring mission now because we're on a mission to save the souls that are being lost, those who are being destroyed by the works of Satan in their life. So we have a mission to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ. How do we, what do we go into a, into a turmoil situation with? What do we go to someone whose life is uh, being destroyed or in turmoil? We bring the word of God. And that's the word of God that brings them out and up and above and brings peace into their life. So the word of God is on you. We're on a new journey in our life. We're in a new journey now with God through the course of this life, and we are inheritors of the kingdom of God. The New Testament, that's what it means. The New Testament is you are an inheritor of God. You're not going to be, you are. The Bible says, Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you that where I am you may be also. He's already working on your mansion in heaven. He's already at work. Jesus counts it already as you're going to be there. 
he's, he's, if he wouldn't be working on it if he wasn't sure you're going to be there. He said, I'm going to prepare a place for you that where I am, you might be also. So, you know, I'll, you know, the day's going to come when you're going to, you're, you will be with me, but it's as it's already done. And so we know that we are, as long as we follow Jesus and walk with him and hold fast to that word in our heart and let it come to fruitfulness, we will be, be with Jesus in glory. We will be inheritors. Go with me to the book of Hosea in the Old Testament, and I want to look at chapter number 6. If you go to Ezekiel, and if you go to Daniel, and then you'll come to the book of Hosea, chapter number 6. Hosea, chapter number 6, verses 1 to 3. And uh, we should bring our Bibles to church so we can follow along. Isaiah chapter, I mean, Hosea chapter 6, verse number 1. The Bible says, Come, let us return to the Lord. For he has torn us, but he will heal us. He has wounded us, but he will bandage us. He will revive us after two days. He will raise us up on the third day that we may live before him. So let us, so let us know. Let us press on to know the Lord. And going forth is as certain as the dawn. And he will come to us like the rain, like the spring rain watering the earth. Some verses say it's like the former and the latter rain. But you see what the Bible says here in verse 2, that on the third day he will raise us up that we may live before him with ever. When Jesus was crucified, when was Jesus risen? The first day, the second day, or the third day? On the third day, the Bible says here, even in Hosea, on the third day he will raise us up. In the Bible, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. If you believe in me, you will never die. When Jesus rose from the dead on the third day, all those who believed with him now had new life in Christ, resurrection life. And it says that we may live before him. How do you know that if you believe in Jesus, who is a risen Savior, you have life before God in his name right now? And it goes on to say that he will come to us like the former rain and the latter rain. When seed is sown, remember we talked about, we started in the Gospel of Luke. Jesus said, seed is sown in a good heart, and you hold fast and persevere, and it will produce fruit. Here in Hosea, he's saying that on the third day, when, when you live before God, he will come to you with the latter, with the former rain and the latter rain. When that seed is sown, that rain is the word of God that will nourish the seed. When a seed is planted, it needs the rain to come upon it to nourish it. And as it grows, to, for it to come to fruitfulness, you know, if, if a seed starts to grow and it doesn't get water, the fruit or the, the final crop could be, uh, you know, not good. But so it needs the former rain to start it growing and it needs the latter rain to make that final fruit and the final product that comes forth good and healthy. And so here it says that God, when he gives you new life, he'll give you the former rain and the latter rain in your life. You see, the work, the Bible says that he who has started a good work in you will see it through until completion. He'll give you the former rain and the latter rain. He's pouring into your life all the nourishment that is necessary through his word, through his Holy Spirit, to see that that work which he begun in you will come forth and he will see it through. You see, God is, God is a good gardener, if you would say. He watches over that which he has planted in you to make sure it comes and produces good fruit, healthy stuff. And so we see that even here. What God starts in you, he has a good purpose for your life, but you have to allow it to grow. You've got to make room for that which God planted in you to go. How do you allow it? How do you make room for it? By putting yourself into the place where you hear the word of God, where you meditate on the word of God. You know, when you meditate on the word of God, it's like when you pour water on a plant, the water has to get soaked down into the soil and get to the root. You know, if the roots have to have water... You can't just pour water on the top of the plant, on the leaf part, and expect it to stay healthy. If the water doesn't get down, it will help. But if the water doesn't get down to the root, how much you can sprinkle the top of that with a little bit of water all you want. And if the roots aren't drawing the nourishment as well, it's not going to 
work. I know. I, you know, my wife told me to water the plants. <laughs> and, uh, you know, uh, you know, you get busy with certain things and you forget to water them once in a while. And the next thing you know, they're, they're all, and, you know, honey, what happened to the plants, you know? <laughs> you got to, and it has to be on a, on a regular basis. The plants have to be watered. I learned that. You know, you've got to take care of them on a regular basis or you're in big trouble. You know, but so God wants to water us daily. That's why he says, you know, the prayer is, Father, give me this day our daily bread. Every day God wants us in his word so that that which he started in us can can grow. And we're making room for it to grow. Go with me to Proverbs uh, chapter number 15. I want you to read this verse with me. Proverbs number 15. You know, God has started a good work in our lives. He wants us to rejoice in it. You know, walking with God isn't a, a, a hustle or a hassle. Or it's, it's a good thing. Our journey with God is a joyful matter. We should be thankful that God has brought us on a wonderful journey through life, that he has brought us out of darkness and what? Into his marvelous light. We're on a good journey with the Lord. Our life is new. We have a new hope. We have something to to get excited about now. You know, Christians sometimes, you know, oh, I'm walking with Jesus. And it's like, it's like, really? I don't want to walk with Jesus if it's like that. You know, but, you know, we got to show that there's an excitement in us. There's an expectancy in us. You know, there's a something good going on inside here with our walk with Jesus. Yeah, nobody's going to want to walk with you if your head's down and you're mumbling and crying and groaning and complaining and not knowing what you're going to do. Who wants to walk? Who wants to be around people like that? You know, other people that want to be that way. But, you know, otherwise you want to be around people that are having excitement in their life, that are going somewhere, you know, that are excited about something. You know, that's what we need to be. And here in Proverbs chapter number 15, verse number 13 Righteous lips are the delight of kings. And uh, wait a minute, where am I? What am I doing here? Fifteen, thirteen. Okay, I'm reading the wrong word. <laughs> Never mind. A joyful heart makes a cheerful face. How do you know if your heart is happy? Your face has to show it, right? A joyful heart makes a what? A joyful. What does your version say? But here it says a joyful heart makes a cheerful face. You know, the Bible. You know, somebody once said that. You know, if you're happy, you know, notify your face. You know, or something like that. I, I forgot exactly how it goes. But if your heart is happy, your 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 face is going to show it. But when the heart is sad, the spirit is broken. You know, if your heart is sad and broken, if your if your heart isn't regenerated into the new heart with new seed with new hope in it, you're into the wannabe, ought to be, could have been, should have been, would have been stage, and you're down and you're depressed and you're sad and whatever. And, and the new heart, I'm not saying the new heart doesn't go through heartache and all that stuff. Yes, it does. But deep down inside, God sees us through those times. And overall, we have a joyful countenance upon us. Overall, I'm not saying every day of our life is a ha-ha, hee-hee, ho-ho, look-at-me-smile type of thing. That's not what it's at. There's times, because the Bible says, weep with those who weep, mourn with those who mourn, comfort those who need comfort. There's seasons and times in our lives when we go through things where we're, we're aching, but overall, deep down inside, we know that God never leaves us nor forsakes us. He's there to comfort us. And overall, we have a happy countenance over our lives. We're someone who's continually living in the, oh, me, oh, my, what have could have been and should have, what a type thing. And it says, uh, verse 15, all the days of the afflicted or all of those days who, whose people, whose minds are afflicted with the, with depression and oppression are bad, but a cheerful heart has a what? A continual feast. That reminds me of my wife who once, once we had an evangelist staying at our house and, and, uh, he, he lived with us for quite a while, for a while. He, uh, over and he came, stood with us a few months and came back. And, uh, his observation of my wife was that she was always happy. She always had a, a cheerful countenance. And so my wife says, yeah, she says, and especially around the holidays, especially around Christmas time, there's nobody. I mean, she celebrates the holidays. And so she told him, and, and she says, yeah, she says, I celebrate 365 days a year. And he took that, and he started, when he would preach, and he would say, oh, Ruth Joy celebrates 365 days a year. And that's scriptural. The Bible says that a cheerful heart ha- gives us a continual feast 
we always have something to feast upon that is good, that makes us happy. And so, yeah, we're going to go through stuff in life. Yes, we are. Nobody goes through stuff, you know, talk to me. But, I mean, everybody here in, in here goes through stuff in life. But as we go through it, we still can have the joy of the Lord, which is our strength. And so there should be a, a, a happiness as we go through life. Now, go with me to Genesis chapter number 24, and we're going to stay in there as uh, we uh, bring this, uh, start to bring this to a close this morning. Genesis chapter number 24, and we want to look at a man, uh, Abraham. And we want to look at two men here, Abraham and uh, Eliezer. Now, Abraham, we know, God called him. God put in his heart to to go somewhere and to do something, to leave the the early Chaldees and to go to a land that I will show you. And Abraham went and he journeyed according to what God had showed him. God is bringing us all through a journey in our life. And if we walk in the way that God wants us to go, he's going to bring us to a good place. And now, verse twenty, chapter 24, verse 1, Now Abraham was old, advanced in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in every way. Abraham, by every standard, and nobody can say that he was poor, every stand, everything you see about Abraham in the Word of God, God blessed him above all, and he had riches and wealth beyond measure. And you talk about, we were talking earlier about the rich young ruler, and God told him to give everything up to follow him. Well, Abraham gave everything up to follow God, and what did God do? Keep him in rags and, and saying, oh, be humble and crawl before me and I'll be happy. That's not what God says. God says, you follow me. And as Abraham followed God, God added to Abraham along the journey of life, and he added wealth and he added riches. He added cattle. He added all kinds of uh, animals to God. Abraham at this point in his life was wealthy. He had, he had a, he had a, a stockpile of abundance of wealth, and he was old, and he, uh, uh, and Abraham said, you see, and had blessed Abraham in every way. The New Testament says, "Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you." Besides, you know, we think that we have to go and do things in life to earn this and to earn that and to earn. But we realize that we need to do those things, but we need to realize that if we walk with the Lord and follow the Lord, He will make our way prosperous. Somehow, God is able to do that. He's able to touch people's hearts that will open doors for you, that will open jobs for you, that will open opportunities for you to obtain so that God can pour out blessing into your life. Your journey with God needs to be cheerful and joyful, knowing that he is a God who provides. And we don't follow God because of what he's going to provide for us. We follow God because he's wonderful and good and has a plan for us. And we want to do what God wants us to do. And we know that as we do the work of God, which is our joy, God will add to us so that we can be a blessing to others and blessing to the kingdom of God. And and so Abraham, it says, And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he owned, please, please place your hand under my thigh. The man who had charge of all that he owned was a man called Eliezer. And going back in Genesis chapter 15, years back, years back, Abraham started to pray, Lord, I don't have a son. Who's going to be heir to all that I have here? Well, maybe Eliezer, my servant. And God said, no, Eliezer, your servant will not be your heir. He says, I will give you a son. And God, God raised his voice to Abraham because Abraham was like, well, Lord, you know, you haven't given me a son. Maybe Eliezer. God said, no, Eliezer is not going to be the inheritor. Now, was Eliezer a good man? Yes, he was. Was he faithful? Yes, he was. And so Abraham thought, well, who's more worthy to receive all this than Eliezer? But God said, no, I set something in your heart to follow me and and what you don't know, see, we don't know. God does more than we can ask or imagine. And God says, you're old, Abraham, but I'm still not done with you. I have a son that is going to be born to you, even in your old age. And what happened? Here comes Isaac, right, in his old age. And so he says, uh, 
And uh, verse number three, and, I, and Abraham talking to Eliezer, and he says, I will make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I live. But you shall go to my country and to my relatives and take a wife for my son Isaac. And the servant said to him, suppose the woman will not be willing to follow me to this land. Should I take your son back to the land from where you came. You see, God took Abraham and said, Abraham, follow me, and where I bring you, I'm going to give you that land. Now, here's Abraham. He's old, and now he he needs a, a, he's concerned about his son Isaac. He needs a wife. And here, Eleazar wasn't doubtful or wasn't questioning. He's just said, Abraham, what if I go and find a woman, and she doesn't want to come? I don't think every woman might have just up and, and followed him. But the Lord had to touch the woman's heart to come and follow. But Eliezer said, what if she doesn't come? Should I get your son and bring him back there? And Abraham said, no, my son is not going backward. Because if he goes backward, he might wind up staying there. And and this inheritance that God has given us will then become desolate. And Abraham said, I am not giving up what God has given me. I'm not going backward. God is not a backward God. He doesn't want us to go backward. God wants us to go forward. So Abraham says, no, Eliezer, you've been faithful to me. Now listen to me. Do not take my son backward. My son has to stay in the place of blessing. God has brought us here to this place. We're not going backward. We're staying here and we're going forward and God is going to bless us in this place. We're not going backward. We go forward. And here he goes, he says to him, then Abraham said to him, Beware, lest you take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my birth, and who spoke to me, who swore to me, saying, To your descendants I will give this land. He will send his angel before you, and you will take a wife from my son from there. Abraham knew, if God brought me here, God will send his angel to touch that wife, that woman's heart, and she will come. He had faith, even in his old age. He believed God. And so we need to believe God. We don't need to go backward. We need to stand where we are, have faith and believe God. He'll provide for us. He'll bring that which we need, and we'll be able to go forward with with all of that. Abraham's followed God. He put his heart into it. We never need to stop exploring the possibilities. And so Abraham delegated into Eleazar the, the fact that. And so in verse number uh, 10, Then the servant took ten camels from the camels of his master and set out with a variety of good things of his master in his hand. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia. Now here Eleazar is doing what Abraham said. Abraham is old. Eleazar is just as old. Because Eliezer was with Abraham for a long, long time, even before Isaac was born. So Eliezer is no young, you know, he's no young spring chicken here either, and neither is uh, Abraham is old. Now, Eliezer could have been saying, ah, man, what's the use? You know, he's old, he's going to die, and I'm going to, I don't know if I'll make this journey in time, you know. And, and he could have complained, and he could have grumbled, and he could moan, but that wasn't Eliezer's heart. Eliezer had a new heart, and Eliezer says, no, if... Abraham asked me in believing in faith that the woman, God is going to touch the woman's heart. God is going to give me the strength to get there and there's going to be a woman and we're going to take her back. Eliezer knew that years back he prayed and said, well, let Eliezer take over all my stuff. And who was in charge of, of all of Abraham's wealth? The Bible just said Eliezer. Eliezer could have said, forget it. You know, let Abraham drop and and I'll be in charge of everything. And if Isaac doesn't have a wife, you know, get him back over to Canaan and I'll have all of Abraham's stuff. He could have been deceitful and he could have tried to look to obtain what Abraham had by by not doing being faithful to Abraham. But that wasn't his heart. His heart was a right. He was in one heart with Abraham and one vision. You know, when you have one heart and one vision in a work, how do you know it prospers? When there's division and some people want to go and do their own things or they say, ah, I'm, yeah, then there's, you can't have division. But when you have one vision and one heart, you know that things happen and God prospers it. And so Eliezer, he goes 
in verse number uh, 12, and he said, well, in verse number 11, he got there and he made the camels kneel down outside and he was that. And then he started to pray. Verse 12, and he said, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today. Eliezer was a man. He was a faithful servant. He knew how to pray. And we know how to pray here, don't we? That's why we're saying Monday nights we want to pray. During a week we want to sit time aside for pray. He knew that the success of his mission depended on his being faithful to Abraham, to the word, and faithful in prayer. He prayed to God, give me success. Do we pray for success? Do we pray to succeed, to grow? Do we pray, you know, for good things to happen? So he said, first pray, give me success, because he knew that he was a servant. He wasn't on his about his own agenda. He was about Abraham's agenda, the overall works agenda. And he said, pray that I succeed in verse number 12. And he says, and show loving kindness to my master Abraham. You see, his prayer he wasn't concerned about himself. He was concerned about that what the task, the thing that he was given, he would succeed with, and that God would bless Abraham who sent him to that. And he said, oh, Lord, uh, show ma- master. And then he, he goes on to say all that. And if you read through the rest of that, it goes to show that he worshiped God, he prayed, and she went back with him. But what I'm saying is this, is that Abraham... His heart was good, and God dropped the seed in his heart to leave the earth of the Chaldees and to go where he would show him, and that he would give that to his seed, and he would be blessed. Abraham stepped out in faith. He, he wasn't a wannabe. Abraham was. He was what God wanted made him to be. And like I said, we're not wannabes. We are sons and daughters of the living God. We are inheritors we are more than conquerors god wants us to step out and walk in faith to follow our heart you see what's in your heart you have to believe that what is in your heart if your heart is new if you're born again by the spirit and word of god there is a new desire in your heart and where does that desire come from from god when your relationship with the lord is healthy and good the desires of your heart come from the lord You no longer have a heart that is wicked and deceitful above all things. And so you don't have to say, ah, the desire of my heart is wicked. No, it's not, because your heart is good. And if you're walking with the Lord in right relationship, if you're seeking in prayer his presence and his word, God will bring desires in your heart that are God-given desires that God will, will want you to move out in. And as you move out in those things, as he did to Abraham, Abraham got blessed. And there was a man alongside of him, Eleazar, who was faithful to him. And together they, they journeyed through. You know, God always never sends us by ourselves. God doesn't want lone rangers. God always brings men and women together to come alongside of each other. Whenever God starts a work or builds a work, he takes more than one person to do it. And God, that's why he put the body of Christ together. And so Abraham wasn't by himself in his journey to Ur. There was an Eliezer alongside of him to pray with him and believe with him and to stand with him. And, you know, the journey wasn't easy, but there was someone with him. And so as we journey through life, God brings people alongside of you who are going to stand with you to not to uh, to see what they can get out of you, not to squeeze you like an orange like like people of the world do, but we need to come alongside of each other to say, we're journeying through this life with the Lord. And if God has set something in your heart to do, you know, we need to see it through. And so we're on a journey, and Abraham has had an Eliezer. And so when you follow your heart, you have to realize your heart is good. God has set good seed in your heart. God is watering that seed. He wants to bring out of your life something wonderful. And how are you going to know? What that is, as you spend time in prayer with God, in his presence, in his word, God will drop desires into your heart. And those desires are to be uh, treasured. And say, that's why sometimes you, you're in, in the service or in the church, 
you might have a desire to, to a certain ministry, to a certain thing. Those are God things that God set in your heart to do, and we need to follow those things and bring them out and make them come to pass. You have a good heart. Say, I have a good heart. Say, I have a good heart. That's the word of God. And I'm not making you say that. I'm telling you to confess what the word of God says. I'm not making you say something. I, I want you to say it because you're confessing what the Word of God says. I have a good heart. And so you need to know. And too many times, like I say, too many times we hear, ah, heart is deceitfully wicked above all things, and you can't follow your heart. Well, you can't follow your heart if you don't know the Lord. But if you know the Lord, you that's where God drops things in your heart. Your mind, this, is being renewed. So you gotta, you got to challenge what you think up here (laughs) the thoughts that come in up here have to be challenged and analyzed by the word of god and the spirit of god but when things are dropped into your good heart your new heart those things have to be nourished and and held on to as this is this is of god what comes up here question mark what comes in here if you're walking in relation with god you need to know that God has dropped that into your heart. You have a good heart. You have a good father who cares about you. You have a Lord who's looking over your life, who's nourishing you and growing you because he puts seed in you. God has put seed in you, and he wants to grow it. And the desire comes along with it in here. Question what comes up here, but take hold of what comes down in here in your heart. That might be new to some of us. But that's the truth. It's the word of God. So I say follow your heart, your new heart that God has given us. We're on a journey. We're all on a journey here together. We're following the heart God has given. You know, God has given Bloomsburg Community Church a new heart. He has planted seed in Bloomsburg Community Church. And we're following that heart, that desire that he's given us. And we need Abrahams and Eleazars to come together and to see this through, this journey that we're going through. We need to be praying, give us success, Lord. Give us success, as Eleazar prayed. And we're not going backwards. We're going forward as a body and individually. We're not wannabes. We are. We're not could have been, would have been, or should have been. We are more than conquerors. We are the body of Christ. We are the light shining in darkness. We are the key to to life in this community. We are, we're not wannabes, we are children, sons and daughters of God who he's brought together to make something wonderful grow and come forth. I believe that, and I know you do too. And so can we all stand this morning? as we close in prayer.